0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now,
1: celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoke Salmon, The Secret is in the Fire, Let's go right to the phones, and joining us from Tightline Outdoors is Matt Ensley. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well, and I understand Nate's a little busy, something about an ice fishing contest or something.
2: Our Grand Lake Ice Addiction Tournament is underway, and they are killing the fish up there this morning. For those listeners, if you want to get an update, there's a live video every hour on the hour showing the results and uh, the catch, so it's going quite well. They're giving away $45,000 in prizes and gifts at this event.
1: Well, it's too late to get up there and fish, but if you were headed up in the mountains and you're within, what time is the weigh-in? Oh, the weigh-in goes on during the course, but what time are the awards?
2: At 12 o'clock. It ends. It start, started at 8, and it will end at 12.
1: So there's a chance to get up there, and I tell you what, uh, people going up to a lake like Grand Lake, at least follow it on the Facebook feed because... It's going to get you excited about the fish you can catch in a lake like this.
2: Yes, they're catching uh, Lakers leading the tournament right now. It's a two point four five pound Laker, and tons of trout being caught presently.
1: Oh, and that's Grand Lake is a great numbers lake. You're going to catch a lot of small Lakers and a lot of rainbows. However, it also is a lake that could produce that twenty pound fish at any time. That's correct. Anyway, you called to talk to us about something else. Let's kind of get into that. You wanted to talk about, I believe, live bait.
2: Yeah, exactly, for uh, ice fishing, live live bait uh, presentations and tackling techniques. And, uh, you know, when when you're looking at live bait, it it helps to understand the activity level of the species you're going after, everything from panfish, perch, bluegill, uh, trout, walleye, Uh, on on up to lakers, uh, feed on these uh, baits that we use for ice fishing. And typically you have to downsize everything because there are basically three phases of activity level for all species of fish. and You can uh, put them in three categories, active, neutral, or inactive. And uh, when you're ice fishing, most of the time, with the exception of the first couple hours in the morning or the last couple hours of daylight, The fish are in a neutral to inactive stage because the water temperatures are so cold and they're cold blooded animals, so they take on the temperature of their environment. So they're less likely to move for large or feed on larger presentations during the ice season. And uh, some of these live bait options um, are the uralarva type uh, baits, very small, uh, waxworms, spikes, uh, mousies, mealworms. These are some of the presentations that you use for live bait fishing through the ice.
1: Now, Matt, I want to I want to kind of I'm gonna, I'm going to pick your brain for the listeners out there because I've used all these baits and people get a little confused. You know, you said you're a larva and spikes and mousies. All three of those are actually a larva. Which what's the difference and when do you choose one?
2: Sure. So, uh, I, I tend to start with wax worms uh, in the season they're a little bit larger. Uh, They are a bee moth, the larva stage of a bee moth, and uh, you don't normally see those in any body of water, but boy, the fish tend to just gobble them up, and it's because they're a small presentation. If you hook them properly through the head and there's a a blunt end and then a tail end to all of these uh, larva stage baits we're discussing here, you always want to hook those through the the, the head end, which will be the blunt end. If you look real close with my eyesight, I can't see it anymore, but get a bag to glass. You can see little eyes. You want to hook it, uh, skin hook it through that end of the bait. Uh, wax worms, um, as I said, are larvae larva stage of a bee moth and can be quite productive. Moving on from the wax worm, you have what's called spikes. Now they're a little smaller and tend to be a little more rugged and don't fall off or or break down uh, when you hook them quite as easily. And again, they have a head and a tail end, hook them through the uh, head end, and they produce better uh, for bluegill and panfish, uh, as well as any finicky fish, could be trout, uh, that are not taking some of the larger uh, waxworms that, that you might be using. And the spikes are blue moth fly, larva stage of a blue moth fly, And um, the next one would be mousies, and these are really cool. The mousies uh, have an actual tail. That's why they get the name the mousies. And they're the larva stage of a drone fly. And, again, many of these you say, well, why would you ever fish with these? Because I don't have any drone flies in my lake. Well, it's just the larva stage that, that you're fishing with. The fish can't really tell what kind of larva stage. And everything in the ecosystem in any freshwater body of lake hatches out of the bottom of the lake. So all your midges and, and various flies that come out of any body of water uh, look like these larva sage when they're coming out of the mud, and that's what triggers these fish to bite it. Mealworms are another option. They're the larvae of a darkling beetle, and they are uh, quite large. They're much larger and tend to be better if you use them early ice or late season because of the size and they're a little more uh, aggressive presentation. Um, Another option that you always want to have when ice fishing is just a basic fathead minnow. I like to uh, go on the small or medium size with the fathead minnows. And uh, if you're going for pike, there's nothing better than a a sucker minnow on a uh, quick strike rig with a couple of treble hooks.
1: We do have to note that if you're above 7,000 feet in Colorado, you can't have a live minnow.
2: Right. You might have to have a dead bait. <laughs> Correct. And some and the other dead bait that I, I use for ice fishing, mainly for trout, but also perch and bluegill like it, is just some basic popcorn shrimp that you pick up in uh, the grocery store. That can work quite well, but do, as you pointed out, you do want to pay attention to the local regulations of the body of water you're fishing as to what's allowed and not allowed.
1: Before we get into more of the presentation techniques for some of these, and we didn't talk about your larva, but we can bounce back to that. where do you get these? Now, I'm the average guy. I'm a new ice fisherman. I know that some of my friends and I will order huge crates of these from out of state and have them shipped in for the whole ice fishing season. I used to. I don't much anymore, but I know um, some of you guys do. What about the average guy? Where can he find some of these? Are they carried in the local shops?
2: Uh, most of them.
1: Uh,
2: for example, waxworms are very common and easy to find in almost all of our tackle stores. Uh, Spikes and mousies, you may or may not find them in the specific tackle stores locally, and you might have to order those. Mealworms are also very common. So the waxies and mealworms, obviously minnows uh, at the right tackle store, most stores uh, carry the fathead minnow.
1: And the uralarva? You didn't explain to people what the uralarva is, too.
2: It's another uh, larva stage of a fly basically. And it looks very similar to a waxworm.
1: It's a little smaller, of course, even than a spike, I think. Yes. You know, one of the things I want to, before we get to presentations too, is you mentioned hooking them through that blunt end. Well, there's a couple reasons for that. One is not only because they stay on better, you get some action, but there's some um, liquid that'll come out of their body fluids. When you do that, it puts scent into the water.
2: Particularly with the wax worms, they have an actual milky substance that oozes out into the water and adds to its attraction um, and and scent in the water for the species
3: you're
1: going after. So, how do you like to present? Let's uh, stay away from the minnows from now. We'll get back to that, but let's let's take these small larva type uh, baits. How do you like to present them?
2: Well, I'll, I'll start with the rods uh, and and kind of move through the the lines. I. I like spinning rods primarily. They're more forgiving uh, on the ice, and I like a light action to medium action for live bait presentations because a lot of times you're going to set these down, and even if you don't, you want to give the fish the opportunity to take the bait in before the hook uh, set, and the lighter action or medium action rods help that effort. Uh, As far as line, I like to go with anywhere from 2 to 4-pound test Uh, for live bait presentations. Uh, Two is a little light sometimes, uh, so three is my favorite. And you can find the the three-pound test in all of the major tackle stores here in the metro area. Um, I will, on most of my live bait rigs, have a wire uh, tip indicator. Uh, And the reason for that is even though you have a light-action rod, you still can't see when that fish takes in uh, one of these... Baits and sucks in, into their mouth, and they'll just sit there with it. They don't typically move off with it in most cases. So with the wire indicator, it's much more sensitive, and it w- you will see it actually moves. It'll normally just go down slightly, and when you see that, you don't feel anything, but you saw it move. Set the hook; you got a bite. Uh, sometimes it'll actually rise uh, from the weight of the presentation. It'll actually come up, indicating the fish has picked up the bait and. And come up with it in the water column. Um, if I'm uh, hand uh, using the rod and holding it in my hand, the wire indicator works quite well. But if I'm doing a dead stick, uh, I'll put a slip float on sometimes so that I can set it in a second hole and watch the float, uh, or possibly a tip up scenario where you have a uh, quick strike uh, like a jaw jacker setup.
1: Well, you know, if you have the proper float on a slip float type rod, um, one that, you know, that's barely suspending, you can have a little slack between your rod and the slip float where the float can actually be moving and you can pick the rod up without disturbing the fish or the presentation until you're ready.
2: That is correct. It's one of my favorite ways to fish live bait is with a slip float because you can position the bait not necessarily on the bottom, but just off the bottom or at the level you're marking the fish with your electronics. And that's key in getting the bites because fish in, as I said in the beginning, are cold blooded animals. So they don't typically move up and down sometimes very aggressively. So you have to put, present the bait right on their nose.
1: So when, um, you typically hook these on a small jig or using a bare hook with some weight, how are you presenting them at the end of your tackle?
3: ways. Uh, I
2: like uh, just a plain hook. And again, in ice fishing, you want to downsize those hooks. Most uh, A lot of people make a big mistake. I did when I first started ice fishing and use too large a hook. So a number eight or even a number ten hook uh, with a split shot is one of my favorite ways to present all of these baits. And just basically uh, skin hook that uh, larva or that uh, mousy so that the, the hook is uh, exposed uh, quite a bit. Another little trick to allow you to set the hook easily is to uh, file off the barb so that you don't damage the, the, the larva itself as you hook it and it makes it easier to set the hook when you have that little barb uh, cut
1: back a, a bit. When I'm using spikes and um, you're a larva, a lot of time I will put two or three on the small hook.
2: Yes. Nothing wrong with adding them. It adds a little more action because they do move around quite a bit, and it, once they die, take them off. You, you buy these things anywhere from 25 to 100 count. Uh, I have seen packaging of 500, so uh, don't worry about the bait. Rip them off, put a fresh one on, you'll get more bites.
1: Matt, we're going to run out of time, and we probably should address the minnows again later because there's one real question I need to ask you. I know you and I have both been fishing with a lot of the small artificials lately, the little gulps, things like that, number of companies making those. How do you decide when you should use live bait and when you should use one of those artificials?
2: Sometimes, as you said uh, earlier in the conversation, the, the live bait options or the tackle store near the Lakeshore fishing do not have these uh, baits that we just discussed. So, in that case, I always have a bottle of gulp or some type of bait, power bait by Berkeley, that I utilize. And they make exact duplicates in the gulp of, of the mousies, the, the uh, waxworms all of those, you can find them in the tackle store and carry them with you as a backup to the live bait. In the case you run out of live bait, or sometimes, I have seen the live bait, particularly when you're jigging, uh, I'm excuse me, the um, the gulp baits, when you're jigging, out produce the live bait options, mainly because you're uh, on an aggressive bite and you're dropping it down there quickly and it's in their face. You're getting uh, much more efficient strikes doing it that way,
1: Matt. We we are out of time, but once again, how can people follow the lead on um, the feed for the ice fishing contest?
2: Right. So go to our Tightline Outdoors face Facebook page, and you will see the hour to hour updates on the tournament. And our next tournament is coming up on February 10th, and that is at Blue Mesa. And if you have any questions, just give us a call at seven two zero seven seven five seven 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 zero.
1: Matt, great information as always. Love having you back on. We could spend an hour on this easily. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Matt Ensley from Tight Outdoors. Terry Wicksham Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest A T V and motorcycle dealer. Barry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We're going to go right to the phones. Joining us, one of our favorite and longtime contributors from Fishful Thinker, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey,
0: good morning from Horse Tooth
1: Reservoir. Okay, are you on the shore?
0: I am, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, watching the water come up.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, then, that's a very appropriate considering what we want to talk about. Um, at I see, you did a presentation called Take It to the Bank. And you and I have talked over the years how many people come up to us and say, we don't have a boat. You talk about all these tactics. What about us? And we're really making an effort to try to address basics of fishing this year, get people started, help them be successful early. And a lot of those people start from shore. Now, you did a seminar called Take It to the Bank about shore fishing. I, unfortunately, didn't get to listen because hosting the tank, I'm up, I'm up front having to deal with all your fans. So, yeah, Both so, of them? Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to get you back on. We've been revisiting the presentations from ISE, and I thought this one was really worthwhile. So why don't you kind of take us through the basics of what you were talking about?
0: All right. I appreciate it, Terry. You know, the first thing I think that folks need to keep in mind when fishing from the bank is the fact that it is not necessarily a disadvantage. There's a lot of times where being on the bank is actually an advantage, and, I, and it seems like a lot of the people that approach me right away Are like well i don't have a boat almost like it's an excuse or an apology and my answer is well that's no problem because really what the boat is is a really fancy way of getting your tackle to more sections of the bank and, uh, and as you well know, a very high percentage of the time, we fish what's called the littoral zone or the edges of the lake where the water and the, and the, uh, land come together. That's where the most food source is in a lot of cases. It's certainly, uh, the area that a very high percentage of fish spend their time. So the first thing is it's not a disadvantage to fish in the bank and don't think of it as such. But what I tend to do on the bank is simplify my presentations quite a bit. And when I say simplify, I mean simplify what I'm carrying, what I'm willing to present, because I don't want to have to take the whole tackle box with me. So I tend to, fishing reservoirs particularly, I tend to fish stuff that's very multi-species, such that I can put myself in the hunt for whoever I might get a lure in front of and have my best chances of success and uh, and i tend to keep stuff simple as well i don't carry a lot of huge variety of lures and i don't carry my most expensive stuff the the one disadvantage from the bank is you can definitely hang more lures up and not be able to get them back whereas i might be able to get them back in the boat uh so i tend to leave stuff at home if i'm worried about losing something i don't take it bank fishing with me and that's a that's a key part of it Uh, another thing is if i'm going just Pond fishing, which is really where I want to go with this whole thing at the end because it's the first thing that's going to happen. If I'm going to the, to the ponds, which dot the front range, you know, all up and down Colorado, so many gravel quarry ponds, those are some of the best places to start off the year, and that tends to be a pure bass fishing situation. And there I may use some specialized tackle. But otherwise, around the reservoir, I tend to throw things like a Berkeley flicker shad because it's very buoyant. If it starts to hang in the rocks, it will float. Uh, if you just give it a slack line, it'll float itself back out of there in a lot of cases. And it's a very, very good multi-species bait for walleyes, trout, bass. Everybody will eat one of those. Uh, I also throw a lot of jigs from the bank, whether it be a gulp minnow or a max scent minnow or a power minnow, something like that on a jig head. The reason being is if I want to fish the bottom, I let them sink all the way to the bottom. If I want to fish the middle of the water column, I can twitch them through the middle of the water column. If I want to fish them real high and fast, I can do that as well. And so it's a very versatile and, again, very inexpensive bait that everybody in the ecosystem will bite, which is, which is really important.
1: You know, uh, you, you know, Chad, I want to just interject something here, too, because you take those two baits and the crankbait, and I don't fish crankbaits enough. I used to fish them when I was a big tournament fisherman, but you're kind of power fishing. And even if it's a fairly large pond, the crankbaits, people shy away from them. Well, I love a jig, and I think I can catch more fish once I locate them with a jig. Crankbaits just allow you to cover water and find those fish.
0: Absolutely. That's the whole key to it is is staying a little bit mobile and finding fish and you know one of the keys about bank fishing is well i'm not quite as mobile so now i need to pick my spot carefully and one of the things i look for um for bank fishing is, is immediate access to deep water or, or deeper water anyway so the fish don't get too far away from their comfort zone and i love areas where wind is blowing in on the bank well if you put those two things together that screams crankbait and that's when the flicker shot really going to shine The other great thing about the Flicker Shad is I can throw it on the same spinning rod that I'm throwing that light jig on. I don't have to carry a bunch of fishing rods with me, whereas if I throw some more traditional, you know, big, heavy bass-style crankbaits, most realistically to present them, well, I need a separate fishing rod. And so I carry one rod with me most of the time or two rods, um, and and that tends to be a medium-power rod, and I can throw the jig, I can throw that Flicker Shad or, or a few other specialized, more specialized baits as the case might be but I simplify and downsize everything. Another thing to keep in mind is the fish are not out in the middle. Don't necessarily walk up to the edge of the lake and then throw a cast 50 yards straight out into the lake. In most cases, you're going to do much better by fishing angles down the bank, throwing parallel down the bank. And, uh, And that's going to be a very common way to catch fish. I know there's a lot of times when I have my boat in the lake where my boat's right up against the bank, I can literally step off the boat into the into the shallow water. And, uh, and and to the point of on guide trips, people think I'm crazy because I have the boat so close to the dam or the rocks or wherever it is I'm fishing. But that's how I get those parallel casts. Well, standing on the bank, that's how you get those parallel casts.
1: I used to do a seminar, and I used to start out by saying, where does everybody on shore try to cast? As far out in the lake as they can. And I said, where does everybody in a boat cast? As close to the shore as they can. And I said, ever occur to you the fish might be in between? Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> Exactly.
0: And, you know, and, and, and I fish commonly from the bank by choice. I've got a fancy boat here. But, for instance, we've got walleye season coming up. When I say walleye season, we've got the walleye spawn. Starting about mid-March or so, all the way on until the end of April, there's going to be a very high percentage of walleyes that are very close to the bank. And they're both spooky. It's some of the biggest fish of the year uh, that will get up against the bank when they're getting ready to spawning. And, and we'll go walk the banks and walk very quietly at night, trying to be stealthy and quiet, more like a hunter. And making parallel casts down the bank, and we catch some of our biggest walleyes every year from the bank, even though there's a big fancy boat sitting in the garage at home. And and uh, it's not necessarily a disadvantage.
1: No, you're absolutely right. So, what are a few of the other presentations you might take with you in this limited tackle?
0: Well, you know, you know me, Terry. I can't go anywhere without a jerk bait, and uh, and I tend to throw shallow jerk baits from the bank. And I will throw those parallel. And the beauty of them is they don't have to be really retrieved quickly to work. And so I, it's all about the jerk and the pause. We've talked about it on a jillion. You know, radio shows with you and TV shows with me and, and even TV shows we film together. And, uh, and that jerkbait is a great choice. Again, it's very much multi-species, but it won't sink into the rocks or float to the surface if you pause it. So I'll throw something like a shallow cutter 90, which is only going to run a couple of feet under the surface. That's great drawing power. It's a great bait for walleye season. You know, early when the walleyes are on the bank, it's a fantastic bait for early season bass if you're going to go pond fishing. And, again, it's not going to run deep enough to really snag. And when you pause it, it's just going to sit there. And therein lies the magic. So that's a, a bait that I throw a lot. And, you know, we've filmed a bunch of shows up at, like, Delaney Buttes or up in North Park. And, uh, and a shallow-running jerkbait is a great, great way to walk around the bank and catch a lot of fish. You can throw it a long ways. You can cover a lot of water, similar to the crankbait. Uh, a little more effort to work it. It takes a little bit more angler skill to work it than, than the flicker shad does. But it's
1: worth it. Well, and you're just talking about trout. You and I both know that uh, a jerkbait, and people will tend to pick one that's too small. You know, you can go two and a two-and-a-half to four-inch jerkbait will catch a lot of trout.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you 100%. Everyone thinks small. And, uh, and, and you know, I just had a, a, a conversation with a very good mutual friend of ours, Steven Schweitzer, looking at some baits at Sportsman's Warehouse the other day, trying to decide on some baits that he's trying to mimic. And he kept, as he's a trout guy, has been for a long time, he kept gravitating to these little baits. And I'm like, no, oh, no, you need to start thinking like saltwater fish, Steve, because they're big baits then. And a lot of times trout will go for a huge bait. We've done really well with six plus inch long jerk baits for trout. And, uh, and certainly there's no such thing as too big to get their attention.
1: I think this is going to have to be continued in another segment soon because we haven't, we're out of time, but we haven't even come close to covering it, Chad. So if you were going out to fish the bank anywhere that's available today,
0: Oh, man, you know, there's tons of open water, and actually about 90% of Horsetooth is open right now. So I I think you're crazy to not go right to the boat ramp, because that's where they stock fish in all these reservoirs, and rainbow trout or spring spawners, they're starting to stage around boat ramps. So I would be fishing boat ramps wherever there's open water, and here at Horsetooth, you've got plenty of opportunity at all the
3: ramps.
1: Well, if they want to get a hold of you, it's FishfulThinker.com, FishfulThinker on Facebook. Of course, your television shows are on, but let's get back on soon and finish this up because I think we're going to put it together in a two-parter. Saturday's only six days away. All right. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Terry. Chad Lachance, always a great resource. Terry Wichstum Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, he was a counselor with In Fishermen at Camp Fish many years ago, which they brought back. He started his fishing career working with the In Fisherman Group. He's a very accomplished tournament fisherman. He's a also involved in a number of activities in the outdoors across the country, a frequent contributor to this radio show, Brad Peterson. Brad, we want to get a quick ice fishing update from you, yeah, or a, maybe it's an open water update. We'll get an update, and then I want to find out about these walleye seminars you're doing. But good morning. Good morning, Terry. So
3: yeah, You're very really worried right about it possibly
1: being an open water update. Yeah, it, it, it kind of, well, what's going on? Tell us what you're finding out there.
3: I tell you what, it seems like right now, if you're talking along the front range, um, if you're south of Longmont at all, it's it's more of an open water option. I've talked to several people that have been out at Chatfield and Cherry Creek and are fishing from shore already catching some oil eyes and some trout. And uh, up north, we still have, you know, four to five inches of ice on some of the bodies of water, uh, Boyd, Lone low tree. But we get any warm weather, and the way these spring winds are starting to blow, I'm thinking we're right at the, the very tail end of the ice fishing season here. So if you're wanting to go ice fishing, you probably ought to head up to the hills.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're probably getting right. I'm really close to... ice fishing gear is still in the back of my truck. You know, I keep it there in case I have to make an emergency ice fishing stop, but I'm thinking of trading it out, putting the long rods in the back. Now, you're absolutely right though, there are some places like Red Feather, probably North Michigan, up at the Delaney's and Lake John, and probably some of those lakes, oh, and Granby and Grand Lake are fishing well, so there are ice fishing opportunities, but you might be better off not to risk going on the ice here and getting in your truck and driving a little bit, or finding some open water, because this early open water especially for trout and walleyes can be phenomenal
3: oh it can be great i know chad was talking earlier about fishing from shore and uh, this is the time of year that really provides that opportunity for shore anglers before boats are open you know the the boat ramps and getting access on that the shore fishing can be phenomenal um and and the nice thing about this time of year is the fish are usually screwed up pretty good so once you find those fish you kind of stay in
1: that area and you're going to catch quite a few. No, you're absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I like to do this time of the year, too, is trout, you know, even when the water starts to recede from shore, you can catch bass and panfish. They'll start coming in to feed on the bugs and the minnows and stuff that will be looking for that open water because the, the the lake kind of starts coming to life, especially in smaller ponds. But trout especially because rainbows are getting ready to spawn. A lot of these stock rainbows, don't have a natural spawning place, so they're going to be by shore, and because they're a cold-water fish, they really adapt. I've been able to even throw a presentation up on the ice and just slowly pull it in and just hammer the trout.
3: Yeah, you definitely can do that. One thing that I've found in the springtime, for me, is usually the afternoon, as the water's warming up a bit, the activity increases some. You get a little bit of that bug life on those warm days, and it seems like that afternoon, dusk, first part of you know, the evening time seems to have a little bit more activity than the early morning that you find maybe in, in the warmer months.
1: Do you have a couple presentations you really like, especially attacking these smaller body of waters, bodies of water from shore this time of the year?
3: It's hard to beat a, a jig in plastic, maybe a twister tail or a, a minnow-type plastic. And then the second one that I really use a lot of, if the fish are in more of a, a neutral to a negative state, I'm going to use a float. And a lot of time, you know, with with a, some line below it, and a lot of times I'm even going with my small ice fishing flies, something that's downsized, or my ice fishing jigs with plastics on it, but just something that you can move real slow and let sit right in that fish zone. And that, a lot of times for the panfish, the crappie, the bluegill, the perch, and you'll catch a ton of trout on that, can be the ticket to getting a lot more bites.
1: Brad, we're out of time. Real quick, you got a walleye seminar series coming up. Tell us about it.
3: Yeah, I'm, you, I'm going to be doing uh, Wally Fishing A to Z up in the Greeley area at the Fire Library starting uh, February 15th. It's a, a four-week series, and I'm, I'm going to cover a, a wide variety of stuff from jig fishing, understanding allies, structure, electronics, uh, casting, uh, crankbaits, trolling, and then each week is a different top couple topics that are going to get covered, and I'm also going to break down a couple of the the top walleye lakes in the state each week. So if people are interested in it, they can go to Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook, or uh, tickets are also available at eventbrite.com, and all you have to do is search walleye fishing, and it'll pop up right there.
1: All right, Brad, we got to let you go, but we will talk to you again very soon. All right, thanks a lot, Tony. You bet. We're going to go right back to the phones. And the gentleman joining us now has a company right here in Colorado that he started several years ago and has just taken off. And it's a product you hear me talk about all the time. I was fortunate enough to go to their facility in Aurora. Kevin got uh, uh, Karen got to meet uh, Kevin's family and tour the facility. And joining us is Kevin Mason from Honey Smoked Fish Company. Good morning, Kevin. Well, good morning, Terry. You know, before we even get into the product... You have to be so proud of those two sons of yours. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, quality young men and really learning the business, and to have a family business right here in Colorado one that we've been able to represent for many, many years, and also the quality of the product. Um, Two things when we left there that Karen was super impressed with. First, Well, three, actually. One was your hospitality, which you've always extended us. And she had never got to tour the facility for. Number one was your two boys and what quality young men they are. But the real thing that impressed us is when you make Honey Smoked Fish Company smoke salmon, you take absolutely no shortcuts that could affect both the quality or the safety of the product. And that's why it's consistently so good.
3: If you buy the best, you make the best.
1: And it just really is. And we were so excited to be able to spend time with you and um, go through that process. And, you know, a lot of people hear honey smoked, and we'll touch on this, but they they think that you put honey on the fish, but that's not the case, is it?
0: No, the honey's actually in the smoke, in the fire. And when it hits the fire, the honey causes a combustion explosion, and it seals the salmon, locking those omega-3s.
1: Now, I know it's available at most supermarkets, but I understand you're adding another outlet that's going to be carrying it, or you have.
3: Yes, Walmart in the Rocky Mountain region, and Sam's, Costco,
0: King Super, Safeway, Sprout, and all your local
1: restaurants. Well, all I'm going to tell people is there's some in my refrigerator all the time. Buy one package. Go to any of those outlets and just buy one package and try it.
0: I say buy two packages
3: because you always never know when someone's gonna show up a guest or something. But well, okay.
1: But buy one what, package. Once you try it, you're gonna go back and get more, right? It just <laughs> yeah. it's just it's you just on, it's on it, it's a product that's all you have to do is get people to try it and they're gonna love it. Yes. Kevin, we gotta go, but thank you again for your hospitality. It was great going through the facility again. Karen really loved it and we're just honored to represent such a quality organization.
0: And I think she's
1: the better half of you, so... Well, you don't get any argument about that from me.
0: (laughs) I just scored points
1: from your wife, Karen. All right, thanks, (laughs) thanks, Kevin. Thank you. All right, Honey Smoked Fish Company. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company. Smoke Salmon, the secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. And by the way, follow us on Facebook... Or like us on Facebook. You heard Kevin Mason talking about Honey Smoke Fish Company. We are going to be giving away on 20 years of Terrier Trivia once a month. Uh, a $99 value of Honey Smoke Salmon delivered right to your house uh, based on a trivia information that will be on the Facebook page. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us to kind of follow up on, we've been talking about fishing and open water, and Ronnie Castiglione going to talk to us about crankbaits. Good morning, Ronnie. Hey,
0: Terry, can, can I get in on that trivia thing for that uh, honey smoked salmon gift certificate? I, I go through that stuff like crazy. So You, you know, cannot because up, it,
1: it says right in the contest rules that as part of the show you can't.
0: Oh, man, that's a shame. But you can come thing. over to that's my crazy. house for
1: some and a bottle of wine because I always have it.
2: Good times. That's a date, Terry.
0: All How's
1: right. You this morning. I'm <laughs> doing great. And, Ronnie, um we were just talking to Brad Peterson, and he says, you know, the ice fishing opportunities are sliding away real quick. It's time for the lot, long rods, and I think you agree.
3: Yeah,
0: absolutely, Terry. It's getting to be that time of year where a lot of the smaller ponds are starting to open up, the bigger lakes are starting to open up, and Who knows if we're going to get a good blast of cold weather to lock them back up or not. But uh, the fish are definitely going to start getting active as the water starts to warm and the the lakes start to open up. So it's the time of year to get out and start doing some new presentations,
1: Terry. Well, and you love crankbaits. You love to power fish. You love to cover water. You know, I probably don't crankbait fish enough. I've got hundreds of crankbaits. It's not that I don't use them. And in my tournament days, I fished a lot of crankbaits because you were forced to to cover water to find fish. It's a great presentation. So tell us how you approach.
0: Legit. Yeah, Terry, you know, it is one of my favorite ways to cover water and locate fish. Um, it's also one of my favorite things to do with clients because it's, it's relatively simple as far as what you're doing with the baits. You know, you are just casting them out and reeling them back in for the most part. Sometimes you may be working kind of a, a rip and pause kind of motion or are kind of, you know, changing the cadence with the reel and things like that just to mix it up. But for the most part, it's just a huck it and reel it kind of a thing. But, you know, one of the big keys that I really wanted to cover today when talking about fishing a crankbait, Terry, is getting that crankbait to dive to the right, Depth Um, That is key in a lot of scenarios. A lot of times if that crankbait isn't diving to the right depth, you're not going to be in the hunt. You're not going to catch as many fish, Terry. So there's certainly some things we want to cover as far as how to dial that in and how to pick the right crankbait and things like that, Terry. Uh, You know, the first one, the obvious one, is going to be choosing the right crankbait. Um, They come in a variety of different sizes. They come with a variety of different bills on the front of them, and they're all kind of rated to dive to particular depths. So a shallow-running square crank crankbait, for example, may only dive down to 2 to 5 feet, somewhere in that depth range, whereas a deep-diving crankbait, something that's got a real long bill out on the front of it, may get down to somewhere around that 9 to 14-foot range, somewhere in there. And then there's going to be a variety of crankbaits that kind of cover the in-between right in there, Terry. So understanding what style of crankbait you're looking at, what depth it's designed to run to is key. Um, when you're getting out there and you're trying to cover different structure and things like that, Terry, and trying to tigger those
1: fish, Terry. Well, you're absolutely right. And some of the things you have to look for, I, you know, as being a disciple of Buck Perry, the first thing Buck Perry taught us way back in a million years ago was that depth was the most important thing. Otherwise, in other words, being by the fish. number of other things that influence your crankbait depth, and I know you know this, is the length of the cast and the diameter of your line.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Terry. Those are the things that I was going to talk about. The type of line and the diameter line is definitely going to affect the depth at which that bait can dive to. Um, if you're trying to get those crankbaits to go as deep as possible, then it's hard to beat a very thin fluorocarbon, something like a 10 or 12-pound test fluorocarbon on a long cast. That's going to allow that crankbait to dive to pretty much its maximum depth on a cast, Terry. Now, there's certain times where you may want to shallow that up. Um, let's say you're working a square bill or something. Like that, and you're working that over some submerged grass. Well, if that square bill on a long cast dives down to five feet, if there's only three feet of open water above that grass, then you need to shallow that up. Now, there's ways to do that, Terry. The line, like we're talking about, will definitely affect that. So you could go to a, either a heavier flower carbon in that scenario, which will keep it from diving as deep, or you could go to a heavier mono. The mono is going to float in the water column, and it's definitely going to make that bait not dive as deep. If you kind of play with that, in your presentation, then you may be able to get that square bill to only run about three feet deep and not get down into the grass. That's kind of an important deal a lot of times. A lot of times it is definitely about getting it deeper for me, Terry, especially in Colorado. I like to get those baits down and I like to grind them on the riprap or grind them on those gravel humps and things like that. So a lot of times for me, it's going to be the fluorocarbon line and it's going to be a thinner fluorocarbon so that it's getting down very, very deep, Terry. Now, the other thing you just mentioned as well is, you know, the rod is also going to affect how deep that thing will dive to. What the rod does is this, Terry. Um, one, it's going to affect your casting distance. So the longer you can cast that lure out there, the deeper it will dive to a lot of scenarios because it kind of has a diving arc when you think about how those lures dive through the water column. So a real long rod is going to allow you to make real, real long casts. The other thing is the position of the rod is very, very important when you're making a retrieve. And that's something I work with clients on a lot, Terry. The direction that you hold that rod as it relates to the water will definitely steer that bait up and down to the water column. So if you're holding your rod and you have that thing pointed up, let's say at like a 1 or 2 o'clock position on the clock, that bait's not going to dive very, very deep in the water column, Terry. Even a deep diving crankbait may only go 2 or 3 feet deep if your rod is vertical like that. On the flip side, if you point that rod all the way down at the water, Terry, so that your rod's basically at 11 or 12 o'clock, and maybe even to the point where you have a little bit of that rod in the water, now that bait's going to dive to its maximum depth. So that same bait that was only running three feet with the rod up is now going to make it down to 12, 13, 14 feet. Uh, you know, a prime example of that, Terry, and I know we're running out of time, is uh, we filmed a show a few years ago, me and Chad did, on Boyd Lake, and we were out there grinding crankbaits in open water, and we were trying to hit structure that was down at, let's say, 12 to 16 feet deep out there in the middle of the lake. Um, a lot of those times, Terry, we had to actually take a rod, and we were getting on our knees in the boat, and we were putting three to four feet of the rod in straight down into the water so that we were gaining those three to four feet of diving you know depth on those crankbaits that allowed us to get down to some of that gravel and without a doubt that day we were out there filming terry those fish would not bite those presentations unless they were grinding on those rocks and deflecting off the bottom so that was a big key for our success that day terry
1: all right ronnie 30 seconds one place you're going to go fishing tomorrow before the super bowl where would you go you know,
0: Terry, I might go up the Tooth. There's a bunch of water coming in the inlet right now, and a lot of the main lake is open. Tooth uh, is a very, very good call to get out right now and kind of look for a few of those trout that are left in the lake and potentially some smallmouth. You know, if you can get near any of the corners of the dams, kind of in that area, and work something like a blade bait or even a spoon real, real deep out there, you've got a very, very good chance right now running into, you know, a whole pack of smallmouth that might be sitting out there. So that would kind of be my choice, Terry. I'd head up the Tooth.
1: All right. Thank you, my friend. We will talk to you again very soon. All right, buddy. You have a good one. That's Ronnie Castellonio from Fishful Thinker. You can find him, of course, him and Chad both at FishfulThinker.com and Fishful Thinker on Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, we are going to be starting a trivia contest this month, and it's going to run the whole year. And once a month, we're going to give away some very nice prizes. A good number of those prizes are going to be... Um, a package from Honey Smoked Fish Company delivered to your door. This is a $99 value, and that includes the shipping and everything. But you get a nice big selection of Honey Smoked Fish Company's fish, salmon. And how you're going to be able to win this is we're going to post trivia, 20 years of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors trivia. We're going to post moments from our 20 years on the air as trivia on the Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Then once a month, and you won't know what week, we're gonna ask either a call or a text what that trivia answer is. And we'll have and whoever gets that right will win that ninety-nine dollar package of honey smoked fish. So follow us right here every Saturday from nine to eleven, and make sure you follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and we'll be back here next week. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Karen. You're listening to 1043 the fan. I
2: hate to-